Yeah, it's one of those things in the study that, like, I know for some people, like, we went into the study and we talked about it. It's like, and if you go talk to, like, Scott, who's talked on the phone with, uh, with Peter Scazzaro's church, and some people are finally leading in fucking other churches that have done this that we're in a relationship with. And it's really funny because what we find is there are some people, like, this is, this is the greatest, most liberating thing that's ever happened in their life. And there are other people like, this is the stupidest thing we've ever done, right? And part of it is the context of, uh, of language. You get into a book like this, and in all honesty, like, there's a lot of, like, the psychology-type world, too. There's this whole counseling-esque type world, too. And some of us, honestly, that, that, that makes us a little uncomfortable. So we recognize for some people diving into the study is a little bit hard. And so I want you to hear from other people other than just me that God really is doing something. And what I want to say to those of you who maybe are in this tension point or whatever is this. I want you simply to recognize, at least in the way that we view it, you may struggle with the language, it's simply this. God wants to transform you. And there are simply things in your life that you're unaware of, that he's aware of, and he wants to help them get out of the way. Because there's this thing inside of you to be more than you are, and he can help you get there. And so he puts his finger on things. And a lot of these things are simply going to look back and go forward. What does that mean? You have issues from your past. Don't run from them, right? This morning we're going to talk about this, this journey through the wall. And the idea is that there are things that happen in our life, these life-altering moments that that sometimes we're too afraid to dive into. We don't have the time. We don't have the energy. And God says, unfortunately, I have to take you through that to get you to the other side. And so all I'm asking you this morning is this. If you've kind of written everything off and you think it's stupid, please, please don't. Please embrace the pieces that God wanted to transform you. If anything, would you take the time you're supposed to be spending reading your book, going to Jesus going to scripture and say and read the Psalms and let David, who's really in touch with his emotions and really in touch with his broken places, just speak to you so that God can highlight broken places in you that he wants to transform. Does that make sense? Are you okay with that? Okay. No one is. Fantastic. Awesome. Okay. So here we go, stopping this morning. We're going to go, the chapter we're on is called Journey Through the Wall. St. John of the Cross, I'd encourage you to read his stuff. He wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul. It's such great language. But the journey, journey through the wall, the dark night of the soul. So a journey, all of us understand what a journey is, right? In the context of journey, it describes well our lives. Because our lives are like journeys. There's, there's, fat, there's times we're going 100 miles an hour and times we're going really slow. There are ups and downs. There are detours. There are all of these things that are going on in our lives. And so all of us, all of us have these moments of detours and twists and turns. The Dukes of Hazard, the great theological treatise, said that life is like, listen, life, our life has as many twists and turns as the bag full of rattlesnakes, right? This thing I remember when I was a kid, it's like, that's a great analogy, right? But that's the nature of our life. And in the context of a journey, in the context of twists and turns, we have detours or these moments that, that just kind of that pop up that are completely unexpected that literally change things. And some of them are positive, right? I got told the first service, we, we went to, on a cruise to Mexico. We turned down this random dirt road, 
following somebody that we were friends with. They were just like, oh, where are we going? And we like, and they had no idea where we were going. Like, this is a detour. I'm like, I'm like, what? Uh, I'm like, I wish I was six foot four, 250 pounds right now. I'm just like, where are we going? And we open it up, and all of a sudden, there's like a pool over here with dolphins jumping. This is like a, like a dolphin refuge, and there's this five-star resort over here. And I'm like, oh, great detour. And so we did what you would do. We packed up all our stuff and snuck onto their beach. It was amazing, right? It was a great detour and a blast. True story. Or there is the time I had a bad detour. It's all Scott Roberts' fault. I went, went hunting with him several years ago. He said, you can trust my Uncle Sam to get you to the, the hunting spot, right? And so we're going across. I realize I have my life jacket on. So I tell Uncle Sam, I forgot my life jacket. Let's keep on going. He says, no, 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 no. We have to get your life jacket. So he turns back around and turns back around and, and gets about literally about, about 100 yards from, or literally, we're entering into the safe spot on, because it's literally a swamp. I mean, literally a swamp. Cypress trees everywhere. It's like death is awaiting us, right? And so literally we go, and we didn't know if there was this, like, pole that had been sheared off, and it was like this, and we hit it and flipped our boat. It was 28 degrees outside, 3.30 in the morning, and I went head first into the water with no life jacket on, right? I mean, it was crazy. This was a bad detour, it's all Scott's fault, right? But we had this dynamic going on, the context of life, that life happens like that, doesn't it? And in these moments, these twists and turns, these, these detours, there are these places where we struggle with, listen, we struggle with these large, life-altering moments where we feel like we hit a wall. And what happens to all of us, all our walls, they are, they are things that stop us just dead in our tracks. And whether these things are initiated by God or, or life is just happens, we have all of these moments. They could be a divorce. They could be a job loss. Maybe the death of a loved one, cancer, a bad church experience. You may have experienced betrayal by someone in your family. There could be shattered dreams that you're wrestling through. So you may have these wayward children, these prodigals as we call them. You could have a car accident. You could have anything possible. You name the number of people, and that's how many different expressions and types of walls that we face in our life. These moments, life-altering. These moments that we hit, that like dreams are crushed, expectations are like, just he's like, oh, oh, and like, why did this happen? Where did this come from? All of these things, we question God so often. We question the church. We question our own belief structure, our own convictions. We, we question ourselves. We question our parents. We question everyone who's been important in our lives because these are the moments where our faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus just doesn't seem to cut it in the moment. The moments we're like, where is God? What is he doing? Where is he going? How is he getting us there? And when will this be over? We have these moments, this journey that we're on. And the idea is that these are these walls that we come up to. I mean, St. John across all of the language, like, it's a dark night of the soul. It's like everything just seemingly is struggling. And in these moments, these are these walls. And the real simple thing is that we can't do anything but go through them. 
Like it's not going to be, we, we may bounce off of them, but we then come back to them. I know so many people who are seemingly stuck in life. They just feel stuck. Like a roller coaster, right? Never ending. They feel like that's a broken record. They go around and hit the thing again. Round, hit the same issue again. Round, hit the same issue. I'm sure you know nobody like this, right? Seriously, we all know people. We sometimes feel it very much in ourselves. We always come back to the same issue. I mean, you named control earlier. I mean, literally, guys, I've been in this thing like God every day brings up an issue of control in my own life, right? Even this morning when I was in prayer before I came here, it's like I'm I'm having my my time with the Lord and he's putting his finger on something. And I'm like, I've got to preach, Jesus. That's a little too heavy for like before I preach time, right? Give me something great that I'm awesome and you love me, right? Don't put your finger on things. It's just... This is, oh, this is, I gotta, I gotta go spend hours processing this. Jesus, awesome, right? No, it's all these things, and no, it's, it's true. It's like these things we come up against, and so in our lives we have these pieces. How do we know we're in a dark night? How do we know? What does it feel like? Well, our good feelings of God's presence—they evaporate, evaporate. We feel the door of heaven. It feels like it's shut as we pray. Darkness. Words like darkness and helplessness and weariness and this real sense of failure or defeat or barrenness, emptiness, dryness, they, they descend upon us. And, and the normal way that you try to connect with Jesus, it just doesn't work. Like you're in that season where it's like last week you go, you go pray a certain psalm or whatever it was or, and, and this is not working now. It's like you go to pray. It's like, oh, it's like prayer and, and time in the Word and worship. It's just like, it's like it's just not doing it. It's like, God, it's a sign that you're bringing me up to something that's in the way of movement forward. Let's just press pause and, and just recognize that this is not just one or two people. Like each of us have our own walls that we're dealing with. Many the, the lack of predictability, the unsettled nature, the unpredictability of their faith journey, right? The unsettled nature of their faith journey. That's what leaves them feeling stuck so many times. Like, it's like you all know Judas Iscariot. And, I'll, and no one ever wants to be like Judas Iscariot, but to be honest with you, every Bible character is a person that we learn from because we can be just like each of them. And so Judas was this guy who who was with Jesus. He was one of the twelve. He laid hands on the sick and they were healed. He prayed against the demonic and demons were cast out of people. That's what we read it in Luke 10 says, Jesus sent up the 12, he sent up the 72, and says they all returned, praising God, saying, even the demons submit to us in your name, right? Like he's one of these guys, he's, he's, he's literally been in charge of the finances, serving now and then when he needs a hot dog, he just dips in, and it's like a perfect set of scenario, right? He's with the Messiah, who's the king, who's going to defeat Rome. He has all these spiritual powers that everyone's going to think that he's great, right? He is hanging out with Jesus, and it's going to, and one day they're going to take over, and he's going to be up there. And all of a sudden, Jesus preaches some message one day. He says, if you'll be my followers, 
drink my blood and eat my flesh, and everybody leaves, and Judas begins to lose his influence. He begins to lose control. He may, all of a sudden his dreams begin to be shattered, and all of a sudden he has this fun. Ah! Jesus is not being who he said he would be. Jesus is not being who I thought he would be. Jesus is not acting right. And then Jesus, pressing, you need to be the Messiah, go! He says, I've come to die. And Judas goes, I'm done. I'm out. You're not fitting the picture that I've created of who you're supposed to be. This is a wall I can't get through. He hits the wall of who Jesus actually is, and he can't go beyond it. And he bounces off, and then he becomes the betrayer. And all of us have that propensity inside of us to be in the same place. And it may not look exactly the same where we're literally crucifying people, but, but we literally become so numb and so dry and so disconnected that when someone begins to push buttons, we pull away. We call them heretics. We leave their church. We leave their relationship, right? Have you been around people who literally call themselves Christians, but they don't do anything because of whatever it may be, because they hit a wall once upon a time with who Jesus actually was, and they couldn't handle it, so they pulled back and created Jesus in their own image? I want a Jesus that looks like, acts like, and sounds like exactly what I want him to look like, act like, and sound like. And that's the most, that's the, that's the Jesus most people worship. Thanks, friends. I will. So in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus faces his own wall. Like Jesus faces his own wall in the midst of his journey. Like he literally has just been baptized by cousin John the Jordan. The Spirit of God has just descended on him like a dove, right? And the Father just spoke from heaven for everyone to hear. This is my son. This is the best of times. Life is awesome for Jesus. Like everyone's like, I wish I could be like him. I would have a dove land on my shoulder and the, and the heavens part and God speak. That'd be awesome, right? And so God has a great plan. The next thing we're going to do, Jesus, is I'm going to lead you into a desert and you're not going to eat any food. There's going to be no glamping trip for you. You're going to be out there in the elements, right? And it's going to be hot, and it's going to be cold. And then at the end of it, kind of the, 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 the cherry on top is open up. Let Satan come and tempt you in every area of weakness you have in your humanity. Whoa. Ah. That's not the plan, Jesus. That's not a plan. I mean, sure, Jesus is God, so he knows all things, right? But if Jesus could have written his script, this would not, Matthew 4 would not have been in it. He would have preferred to not have a wall. But God saw fit for him to have a wall. You pick it up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit of his Father into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. The story is powerful because it seems unfair. The story is powerful for us because it seems unfair, it does not make sense to us in the natural. 
Jesus is simply doing life and the Father leads him out, right? His time is difficult. We know, listen, we know this is important. Please, please, everyone stop real quick and just take off your, like, religious hat for a second and recognize that Jesus was a 100% human being. Like, everything that's hard for you was hard for Jesus. Everything that tempts you tempted Jesus. He was a human being 100%. Right? He's struggling. In fact, we know he's suffering. It's because it says in verse 11, it says, in verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Do you know who needs ministry? People who need ministry. People get ministered to the ones who need ministry. You come forward to our ministry teams, what? Because something needs prayer. Something is overwhelming. You can't do it yourself. You need help. Jesus in his humanity is like, overwhelmed in his flesh. Hit a wall. Hit a wall. Seems unfair. And here's the point that I want to make. This is the point we don't like. It's in your book. Peter says that you can stone him, not me. The wall... A wall or the wall in our lives is the ordinary way that we grow in Christ. It is and or the ordinary way that we grow in Christ. A failure to understand this is one of the major reasons many start out well in their journey, but do not finish. Walls are a part of all of our lives in different shapes, different forms, in different fashions. And the question we have to then ask in this Matthew 4, press, pause, theological moment myself. Why? Why did Jesus have to go up against a wall? Like if God saw fit for this to happen and led him to it, then he must have had a reason. And I can't just gloss over this and get back to the part where he didn't start healing people and and like skip chapter 4, pretend like it didn't happen, and just go from 3 to 5. I need to wrestle with this, why did, G- why did Jesus face the wall? Why did the Father, through the Holy Spirit, lead him to a wall? As you go study it for yourself, I'm going to give you maybe one or two of the reasons this morning, because there are several. But one of the primary reasons, one of the primary reasons, Jesus faced a wall because he knew that you. He faced a wall. The Father had him face a wall because he wanted, he, Jesus knew, if I'm going to truly be sacrificed, I'm going to die in your place, then I have to be able to identify with every wrestling and every struggle that you go through. So I'm going to experience everything that you experience. He knew we would face a wall, so God led him to the wall. Led him to the smack moment, right? This difficult moment in his life, this life-altering moment you either go through or bounce off of. He knew. The scripture tells us very clearly that Jesus is tempted in every way as a human being is tempted, yet he was without sin. Here's the point. Therefore, all of us then, now empowered by his spirit, can resist temptation and move forward as Jesus did. He's our model. And so Jesus is modeling for us what a human being facing a wall, the heart, it was hard. 
So much so that he had to get ministry from angels. So how do you think you can go through hell without having to get people to come alongside of you and minister to you? Jesus went through the wall because he knew each of us would too. So, what we learn about the wall? What we learn about the wall? Four things this morning taken from your book. you got to read the end of the chapter to get to the good stuff. What can we learn about our wall? Number one, walls are one primary way of God maturing us. Walls are one primary way of God maturing us. So, most of the story about my mom, that's the primary wall that I faced in my life when she died. It was gut-wrenching. Overwhelming. As a 23-year-old kid, mom was everything. I'm like, Ugh, I could never speak. I just was overwhelmed, right? And two things happened in this moment. Two overarching things happened. Jesus ministered to every need of my heart, mind, and soul in my life. He was with me in my grieving. He was with me in my frustrations. He was with me in my moments of feeling overwhelmed. He mourned with me. He cried with me. You know what I mean? This. He was with me. He walked with me. He gave me space. He gave me time. He let me beat on his chest. He let me cry on him. Like we had to, That's one of the things he did. But the other thing that he did is that he let all of my immaturity come out. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but when you get squeezed, something comes out. And when I reach a place of a wall, it is a moment of squeezing. And in that moment, I'm, I've experienced this. I know you never have. When I hit a wall, stuff comes out, and I go, oh my gosh, where did I come from? And usually it comes out at Randall, because I'm married to her. Right? I get squeezed, something squeezes me, I go home, and I lash out to her, and she's not the passive type. <laughs> we have a moment. We call them marriage moments. Squeeze and something comes out. And I go, oh. And Jesus says, I love you enough in your wall moments to be with you, but to also let your immaturities come out when you get squeezed so that they no longer have immaturities for you. Walls are places where stuff comes out when you get squeezed. I'll be honest with you. I had to wrestle through for a long period of time with God's faithfulness. I would not sing God the good. I'm glad the song Good Good Father was not out back then. I would not have sung this. I would have wanted to sing it. I would have been lying. Because I wrestled. I struggled. Oh. Until God brought me through the wall. I literally sat down with a Part of it was friends at the Wesley Foundation in Georgia. Some of it was my time with the Lord. Some of it was Fletcher McClellan. Fletch was a counselor who loved Jesus. And I sat down with him one day and said, dude, my mom died yesterday. I said, I feel like my emotions were like this, and then they got ripped apart. And I'm trying to put them back together, and negative is going with negative, and sparks are going everywhere. And I don't know what in the hell to do. That's what I said, so. Looked at me and smiled. 
the grace of Jesus, conversation after conversation after conversation, him leading me, brought me back to this place of the faithfulness of God. And you know what? I don't wrestle as easily now with the goodness of God. It's like when situations arise, I got squeezed, I walked through it, and now I understand his faithfulness. Doesn't mean things aren't hard. Doesn't mean I don't have these like uh, moments, but I more easily fall into God is good and is faithful. I will not be affected. I'm not saying so. If that's you, just snap into it right now. It's a journey. How long do journeys last? As long as they take. Years for someone. Number two. Walls are God's way of combating sin. Walls are God's way of combating sin. Jesus wasn't in sin. But God was attacking the very roots of Jesus' humanity that he would feel tempted by. Does that make sense? Like there were these, like he was born as a human being. There was this drawing to it, right? There's the drawing to it. And so God knew in this moment. You're going to be tempted in three ways that are going to be very applicable to your life. The first one, well, we read it, right? The first one was stones to bread. Why? Because he was hungry. Jesus could have looked because he knew he was God. Looked and said, he could he had to say, he could have just looked at it, turned into bread. He went, blah, 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 right? Like, he literally, like, every single person who's fasting 40 days, like, you know those bug bunny things, and, like, they'd be on an island, there'd be two people, and one guy would be running off because he looked like a steak to the other person, right? Like, Jesus would look at rocks and see, man, he could see bread, he'd steak. That's what he was. He didn't. He was a good Jew, so he wouldn't eat steak, right? But, but he was like, he was eating bread. He was standing in the moment, right? All of these pieces. And so, St. John of the Cross is a great thing. You can read it in your book, talking about these things that we come to the wall, they expose sin. He named seven things. I think seven things on the screen here. Go to the next one. Go to, pass that. Pass that. Here we go. Number one, pride. Like, you hit a wall, and you start thinking, well, how can that happen to me? Don't they know who I am? Pride. Everything's all about you. Materialism. Like, I mean, I love talking to Tim Parker. Like, I can listen to all day about the housing crash. Like, and like he has the best story. Sometime we're going to have story time with Tim, and he's going to get up here for two hours, and you're going to sit there and not go to the bathroom and be enthralled with how God moved in his life. Like, it is overwhelming. But we know people. People, like, who struggle. I mean, Todd can tell the story. It's like, that happens in... And lose everything. And we hit this wall, right? A materialist, and then we wrestle going, and we miss it. And God's saying, I'm letting you bring you to the wall so you can die to it so it no longer controls you and it never keeps you from me. Third thing, luxury. Luxury, right? Loving pleasure more than God. Do you know anybody in your life who loves pleasure and having a good time more than they actually want to love God? The fourth thing, we come up, we come up with the wall. God exposes that. Fourth thing, we hit a wall. And in wrath, we get angry. Stuff comes out, told you. I get squeezed and like anger comes out. It's like the first fruit of my squeezing. Like something happens in my life and anger and 
just always comes out. I mean, it happens, right? I don't know why. It's like, I was so shocked I was not, I, got, I think I was so afraid of death, I didn't get mad at Scott or Uncle Sam, but I mean, I could have, right? And so the next thing is spiritual gluttony, all that means is this. Hear this. Spiritual gluttony, it's his language, we don't use it very much today, I think it's great. We resist the sacrifice of the cross because we just want God's blessing. Spiritual blood, we just want the good stuff of God. We don't want the sacrifice. We don't want the death. We don't want to, we don't want to literally die to self. So we get to the wall and God exposes that. Spiritual envy, always comparing, wanting others' gifts, right? Laziness uses the word slothful. I love that word, right? It's like afraid to do the work of the kingdom. Like, do you know that Christians are compelled by giving glory to God? All they do, they have to work harder than everybody else. Kids, your generation is pretty lazy by nature. I think all youth are. Stop being lazy. Work for God's glory, right? Go after his kingdom. And when we get to the wall, here's the thing. We get to the wall. You know how people bounce off of it? Like, oh, this is too much work. I don't have time for that. I just can't. I can't. Uh, they're not willing to give the energy and the time to go through it, right? Jesus was tempted by very real sins in the desert. He didn't give in. We don't have to either. God's exposing his heart in this, right? Exposing the struggles that he's facing. I mean, literally, let's pray. Go read. Number three, the wall focuses on Jesus. The wall focuses on Jesus. So let me get to the point of this. Do you know Christians who are dictated by their good or bad feelings? They don't feel like that. Like they feel, eh, and so they're having a bad day. Or like, how are you? Or they have good feelings and they literally worship the feelings that they have. Oh my gosh, it's so great. I feel so good. I feel, I feel, I feel. And feelings are pointing to Jesus. And so what the idea is this, is we become too attached to our feelings for or about God. The sensations we have, rich or empty, positive or negative, are not God, but they are messengers to point us to God. And so God wants us to say, my emotions, I sense them, I feel them. But I move beyond them to get to Jesus. That's what I have them for, to point me to my need for him. I feel overwhelmed and I come to Jesus. I love this picture, right? Jesus is there in the moment. He has an opportunity to either focus on God or not focus on God. Walk in there, bounce him off of it or lead him to it. So what does he do? Satan comes and says, dude, I know you're hungry. Man, I can see it. I can discern that you're hungry. I mean, literally, it's just, it's just people that have to be a whole loaf. It's a piece. I mean, listen, you haven't eaten in 40 days. Trust me, it'll taste real good. Ain't anything. Like, let's take communion every day, five times, right? It's great. So we get this whole dynamic going down. Like, and so, and Jesus says, man, I, my food is to do the will of the Father. He, it leads him to Jesus. It leads him to the Father. Excuse me. leads him to the Father. He has the other temptation. Go back to that temptation page for me. Temptation is offering Jesus, right? The desire to offer Jesus the kingdom of the world, right? Jesus doesn't want to have to. He knows he's going to have to die. He knows he has to die and be resurrected for him to get the kingdom, the full kingdom. And he's just saying, hey, I've got a shortcut for you, right? It's a desire of power about the sacrifice. How many of you know people who want power that before they need the ownership of it that it entails? Third, jumping off the top of the, the top of the temple. This is testing God's taken from Exodus, right? And the idea is this. How many of you are like, 
Oh, it's a test of faith, of faith and so I really believe God is faithful. Hey, you know, you know God says he'll catch you. Do you think he will? Do you really think he's good? Do you really think he'll take care of you even though you're going through hell? Do you really think that he's good even though you've gone through this and suffered? Do you really think he's good? And you're like, oh, well, where are you, God? And there's this real test, and God and, and Jesus comes back and, and points straight to the Father. Points straight to the Father, worships him. He says, away from me. The fourth wall, the fourth thing the wall that we face is this. The wall awakens us to God's love. The wall awakens us to God's love. Horace, would you go ahead and come and begin leading us in worship? The wall awakens God's love. Because there's something powerful that happens. As we are journeying through the wall, or maybe we feel distant, this and this is undone, right? So focus on this last part. We get to the wall, and we're going through it, and it's overwhelming, it's tiring, it's it's hard work. It costs us all this stuff, right? And then we get to the other side, and mysteriously, God has awakened, has poured his love into us, and we didn't even realize it was happening. Like the journey through the wall mysteriously imparts God's love into us. It invades us when we persevere patiently through everything going on in our life. And it's like we get to the other side, and like, Oh my gosh, I'm so loved by God. Oh God, I was going through this. I didn't even know you were there, but I recognize, I look back and I was thinking you were here, there, and there, and there, and there. Oh my gosh, God, you're so in love with me, right? He gets, Jesus gets to the other side of his wall. What happens? He is released into the full ministry of loving God and loving neighbor. It was preparation. So you can't miss the other part of this. Mysteriously understand why, but Jesus could not have been propelled into ministry if he had not first gone through the wall. How do we know this? Because it was God's will, therefore if it's God's will, it had to happen. He could not have been launched into the ministry that God had for him if he had not first come up against his wall and then gone through hell to get to the other side. That's it. Bow your heads. This morning, Jesus, we come and we simply ask, would you expose our walls? Father, this morning, I pray that you would remove fear from people because they're afraid to dive into their wall. They're afraid to be honest, Lord. Pray grace this morning. I pray in stillness of their weeks. They read this study and you wrote this book. I, I pray that you would awaken them. I pray God, that you would that you would this help focus them on the last like six pages that talks about the beauty of the other side of the wall. And God, it's so beautiful. The things that you do there, it's just amazing and powerful. God, it's like it's so it's just so good. It's like this is the fruit of His work going through. And, and I pray Jesus today that you would compel people by grace, your mercy, your love.